0: This turn to Genesis one. Looking forward to this message, God put it in my heart. And I want to talk about what's God like. And people might say, What do you mean? Well, I'm not talking about his attributes or that God is love. We know that. What is God like in the book of Genesis when it comes to building something? This year we're going into a facility, and it's not about the facility. I've seen so many times in history where the blessing of God takes place of the blesser, takes place of him. So we want to go in and stay focused. God, why are we here? It's for you to build your kingdom, extend your influence. And we want to stay focused. We want to stay faithful in what God's called us to as a church, encounter, equip, and engage. So we want to stay faithful. So at the beginning of the year, God dropped this message in my heart. What am I like? What is God like when he does something, when he builds, when he creates? What is the nature of God when he does something like this? So we're going to look, and I've got some points in Genesis. But the church that I want to be a part of is the church that Jesus is building. Amen? And the church that Jesus is building, the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against. So it's not a defensive church. It's not just trying to keep the enemy out. The church that Jesus is building is one of offense. That's the Bible. And that's really the, the litmus test, is Jesus building that church or not? Because there's many places where, in a sense, man is building the church. I want to be a part of a church that Jesus is involved in, that Jesus is building, that the Holy Spirit is active in. Stay on the cutting edge of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. What is God like? Go to Genesis 1. So we're going to start at the beginning. In the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light... And there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Now, Genesis is the story of origins, but often we make a mistake. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. The first sentence of the scripture is still to this day the most hotly debated topics on the earth. In the beginning, God. God, the existence of God. He created, creation, the heavens and the earth. The origin of our cosmos and of us. Still the most debated topics in the world. All covered in the first sentence of the Bible. But sometimes we think that, you know, when it says, the heavens, talking about the abode of God, heaven. It's not. It's the heavens. It's the cosmos. It's the stars and the planets. It's not heaven, God's abode. He created the heavens. He flung the stars into place, the Bible says. He created the heavens and the earth. And then it's very interesting, it says the earth was without form. So when we look at the Genesis creation, friends, it's not the origins. Genesis just means origins. It's not the origins of God. It's origins of cosmos and of us, not of God. God is assumed. In the beginning, God. That's it. He was before. He will be after. It gives no explanation because he doesn't need to because this is about mankind and about him. Amen? Then it says this, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. God creates the cosmos, he creates everything, and then it gives you a picture of what state was the earth in. It says, without form, that's the word to I don't know how to say that word, formless, confusion, chaos. It says it was, in, it was void, emptiness, and waste, and it says it was in darkness, was on the face of the deep. That's obscurity. The original Hebrew says a dark secret. The earth was in a state, here I wrote, of confusion, chaos, which means no order, emptiness, waste, obscurity, secrecy, and darkness. Friends, this is what was. So God creates it, and that's the state of the earth. But then, he fixes his gaze. Of all the cosmos, he fixes his gaze on the earth. And the Holy Spirit, knowing the thoughts of God. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 to 10. says, who apart from God knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit, knowing what's in God's heart, knowing what's in God's thoughts, goes down. God has fixed his gaze upon the earth. The Holy Spirit goes down and begins to hover over the earth. I believe with excitement, saying, the Master is about to speak. He's about to make something. He's about to create. So he's hovering over the earth, waiting, because he knows the thoughts of God. That's what happened. And then God speaks. Let there be light. And I love the next sentence. And there was light. That's just the authority of God. Let there be light, and there was light. But the Spirit is hovering over the face of the deep, waiting, watching, watching to act, watching to perform. And it's interesting to me, friends, because I wrote you, the state of the earth, before God's gaze was fixed, is the state of man as well. We are all God's creation, but until God spoke, until God's Word penetrated the earth, let there be light, the Word of God penetrated the earth, Until God's word penetrated, it was in a state of chaos and confusion and darkness and obscurity. Just like men, mankind, they're still God's creation. But until God's word pierces the heart, they're in a place, the Bible says, they're blinded. They're in a place of darkness. They're in a place of chaos. There's no peace. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. There's no peace. There's no shalom until the word of God has pierced the heart of man. Doesn't mean they're not his creation. But has God's Word pierced him? Has God's Word gone right through his soul, right through his spirit, and awakened his spirit, and made him come alive? And he's born again. And the God saw the light, and it was good. Friends, what God adds, it says, then he divided the night from the day. What God adds is good. That word divided there, in the Hebrew, is the same word, over and over, used again in Exodus and Leviticus, when he says, you shall be a separated people. You shall be divided. You shall be separate. You shall be separate from every other person on the face of the earth. So what happens, that's exactly what God does with man. He comes in and he speaks his word and he separates you from your sin because of what Christ has done on the cross. He separates you, just like light and dark. And then he looks at you and he says, it's good. He separates you, just like light and dark. They don't go together. And he separates and he divides and he makes you holy and he looks and he says, it's good. So my question to you, before we get into, what does God built like? When God's gaze is fixed upon you, I wrote this, you are no longer obscure. You're not empty. You're not a waste. You're not in secrecy, you're not in darkness. You're not blinded. You are actually, in fact, the masterpiece of His creation. You are the masterpiece of His creation. I want to just challenge you to just believe that this year. Can you just believe that His thoughts towards you, friends, are constant, And they are good. Can you believe that? Because if you do, truly do, it'll rock your world. It'll change your life. It'll change your marriage. It'll change everything about everything. That God's thoughts towards you are good. And they're constant. If I had a New Year's resolution, it would be, Lord, show me more of that. Because my identity should be rested on His thoughts towards me, not my own. And that makes me free. But what is God like when He builds? Number one, God is spiritual. We're going to do four points. I'm going to spend a long time on the first one. God is spiritual. What is He like? Well, He is spiritual. John 4:24 says, God is spirit and must be worshipped in spirit. So God is spiritual It sounds so normal. But friends, it's a big, big, big deal. God is spiritual. He was before we were. He was, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. He is a spirit. He is a spirit being. He is not a man like you and I, that He should lie. He is not finite. He is infinite. He is spiritual. The Bible says walk by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. So people always get confused about when the Bible says spirit this and spirit this. I wrote this. As we are walking through life, there will be challenges, there will be relational tension, there will be practical decisions. If we walk by the Spirit, we don't make our decisions based on what we see. But on what we don't see, not because it sounds good, not because it sounds holy, but because we have a knowing and an understanding within us, deep within us, that there is a realm that is greater that is a greater reality, is more real, is the originator realm than what literally we see. So we make our decisions based on something we actually cannot see. If we walk in the spirit, we no longer are fighting flesh and blood. And people, even as friends, will come against you. But to walk in the flesh, the Bible says in Galatians 5, to walk in the flesh is to gratify the cravings and the desires of the sinful nature. Simply meaning when you are born on the earth, you are born because of sin under Adam. To walk in the flesh is to obey the nature that you have from Adam. That's all it means. To walk in the Spirit, it means when you get saved, you get awakened inside. So people say, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? I don't understand. I get that question all the time. To walk in the Spirit is actually, we don't like the word obey, but it's to obey the Spirit of God that is in you and speaking to you and, and the Lord speaking to you, and you begin to walk in the Spirit as you begin to obey the voice of God in you and as you begin to follow what He says in daily practical life sometimes. In business decisions, in family decisions, in parenting decisions, you're making decisions based on something you cannot see because you know it's what I call the parent realm. It was from before. This is the child realm. I used to tell the youth that's how healing happens. The parent, the one with the authority, the realm that was before, just adjusts the realm that we now see. So to walk by the Spirit is to walk with a conviction, not just a conviction, it's become certain in you certain that what you do not see is actually a greater reality. So you walk in obedience to that. You make decisions in obedience to that. Some of the decisions we've made in this process made no practical sense. No sense, but it's what God said. And now you see the fruit. Because you cannot always see it. And so you walk in the Spirit. And as you begin to learn to walk in the Spirit and in obedience, the voice of God in you and to you becomes crisp and sharp and clear, so much so that it will seem foreign to do anything else. It starts to almost get weird to not follow it. And that's why Jesus said, a stranger's voice you shall not follow. It becomes crisp. It becomes, your spirit is quickened to it. I'm going to say, labor this point, because I'm really trusting that God brings revelation. The Bible says we are to pray in the spirit. We are to sing in the spirit, because God is Spiritual says yeah, our weapons, 2 Corinthians 10.4, our weapons are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What are strongholds? Unseen forces. Unseen forces that control or put in bondage people's minds and even geographical locations. That's scripture, friends. That's Bible. That's what a stronghold is. That's why it says cast down arguments. And they are unseen forces that cause that. And so it says our weapons are not carnal. I'm not going to go into prayer with a bow and arrow and a sword. Those are carnal weapons. They have no use in the supernatural. But the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for pulling down those things because they are spiritual and he is spiritual. The Bible says this, talking about John the Baptist, the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. The child grew. Some of you out here are wired this way, you're more naturally wired to the supernatural, it comes a little easier for you. Friends, one of the greatest verses to learn about things of the Spirit is Luke 1.80. King James Version says the child waxed in the Spirit. It's not this instant thing. It's like wax. If you ever had a candle, you dip it, you wait. You dip it, you wait. It's like the waxing and waning of the moon. And every time, a former thing that you've learned, the former layer, Bonds to the layer that is already there, and another thin layer comes across, and then another thin layer, and another thin layer. The child grew, he waxed in the spirit slowly, because the things of the spirit, the things of God, is step by step, the Bible says, precept upon precept, principle upon principle, little by little. And you wax, and it becomes one. It doesn't become layers, it becomes one. And you slowly wax as you grow in the spirit, and you grow, and you grow, and you grow, and you grow. But you grow often in an unseen place in the desert. And people that are very spiritual want God to say, reveal, show everyone, I'm the next Billy Graham. That just means you ain't ready yet. You grow where no one sees. Let God determine the time for him to show people, not you. You wax strong in the spirit realm. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, the things in Hebrews 11... Verse 3, Faith is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Picture this, the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The trees, the dust, the dirt, the fish, the animals, those are physical things. They were made by something that was not physical. Think about this. There's a supernatural realm that we do not see. God spoke. And something came from nothing, from our perspective. And suddenly there was. Because the things which are seen are not made of things which are seen. In God's sight, this is far more real, the unseen, than what is real to us. Far more real. And as his children, in his kingdom, he says, come and let me teach you the things of the kingdom. Let me show you the things of the Spirit. Not so that you can boast and be powerful, but that you can learn how to affect my will upon the earth. Because everything that happens here, they are linked. You can affect things there, and stuff there affects things here. And it's not supposed to be spooky and weird. It's supposed to be simple and a normal Christian life, in obedience to your Father, so that we can be about our Father's business like Jesus was. That's simply what faith is. I'm going to move on yet to the next point. But friends, faith, for me, original faith, based on the old guys in the Old Testament, was a way of seeing It's learning to see how God sees. And you see how he sees. So you look at a situation, any situation in your life, decisions, in school, in business, you look at a situation and you go, God, I cannot see a solution here. So you start to pray and you start to get his perspective and you start to do things which sometimes don't make that sense, but it's in trust and faith because God's spoken into your heart and faith comes by hearing. It's spoken into your heart. So you start to do some things that to some people would be like, what are you doing? You're trusting in the greater reality because you've heard what God has said. Wonderful. Not by might, let's quote it together, nor by power, but by my spirit. By my spirit. Not by might, military power, nor by the strength of a man's hand and all its resources and all that it can do. A.W. Toes was the one who said, the church in America, when did he live? 40s and 50s, he said, the church in the United States, the Holy Spirit left it today. Most of what they were doing, they would carry on doing and not even know the difference. It's a sad statement. Not by might, not by military power, not by the strength of man's hands or this resource, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You know that was talking in the context about building a physical temple? Even building a physical temple? Imagine how much more in the New Testament we are no longer fighting against flesh and blood. How much more? that you are now the temple, that the church is now God's house. How much more, friends? My dad used to say, I wrote it down, it is by the Spirit. Unless it happens in the Spirit, it doesn't happen, it doesn't last, and it doesn't stand. It has to happen there first. It has to happen in the Spirit. And then it comes onto the earth. God is spiritual. He must be worshipped in Spirit. Second thing I saw in Genesis, in terms of how does God build, that God is organizational, not institutional. Please, don't get the two confused. God is organizational. Go back to Genesis, empty and void. It says, the earth was without form, and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. So what happened? God said, let there be light. So what actually happened? God spoke. What actually happened? Think about this. As God spoke, as God said, let there be light, there's matter from no matter. There's an incredible manifestation that takes place. Imagine the manifestation. God said, let there be light. Now there's this manifestation and there's matter from nothing and all the stuff starts to take place. And if you look at the, the account of creation and all the things he says and the water and the earth and the skies and the animals and he creates and as he speaks there's all this manifestation. But the result was order, not chaos. The result was order. The Bible says the earth misted itself. It was a perfect system. Look at the human body. Genesis 2.7, when God breathed into Adam's nostrils, right? God makes Adam, think about this, says he formed him out of the dust. So he makes Adam. So at some point, Adam was a clay mannequin. He made Adam, and it says he breathed life into his nostrils. Not into the mouth, not resuscitation. Life into the nostrils. And he breathed into him, and Adam became says, a living being. Imagine, friends, the physical manifestation that took place. All the systems, the heart and the lungs, all the stuff that happened that we still cannot understand, that we're still trying to study, thousands of perfect little systems. So there was a manifestation, but the result was order. It's the same today with ministry. You pray for someone, sometimes there's a manifestation, sometimes they shake and laugh. We all get, ooh, look at that. That's just the spirit realm affecting the natural. There's something that took place in creation. There was this manifestation, but the result was order. With the making of man, same thing. The result of prayer, the result of ministry should be order and peace, not further chaos. Because God, the Bible says, is a God of order. God is a God of peace. He is not a God of disorder. And so some people are uncomfortable with the manifestations, and that's fine. But it's the result. Man's system before the fall was a perfect system earth before the fall was a perfect system. God is a God of order, friends. And sometimes people think those two don't go together. Sometimes people think the supernatural and order and administration and structure, they think, oh, if you have that, it'll destroy that. No. It was the spirit God spoke from the supernatural, and the result was order, not chaos, not mess. They go together. And some people are so scared well if you put in too many structures and you put in too many systems you just going to quench the spirit can i disagree with you publicly not at all not at all the spirit always has right to cancel our plans we bring our plans we bring our heart we bring our best our excellence for the king but if the spirit comes and says do that we say sure you're the boss that's no problem but that doesn't quench it's the result thirdly We'll move fast through the next two. God is relational. Sure, this one is, is so close to my heart. Genesis 1, 26, 27. Sorry. God said, let us make man in our image. Friends, before there was man, there was an us. Let us. Let us. God was relational before we ever were, before we ever existed. He was already a relational God. Let us make man in our us in our image, according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the things and every creeping thing. Let us, and then what did he do? He made more than one. It is not good for man to be alone. Friends, he wasn't alone. He was with God. He was with God. God said, I want to make another and help me. In other words, someone similar I say similar because everybody knows men and women are definitely not the same. God did not want it to be without a companion. Without a companion. So he said, let us. So he makes two. He's a relational God. Due to his relational nature. Go to uh, Genesis 2.18. The Bible says this. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Friends, and we know what happens, he makes Eve. What's so powerful about that? You know the scripture in the New Testament says that we co laborers with God. This is the first evidence in the Bible, the first example of the Bible, that God wants to co-labor with you. This is before the fall. He makes the animals. He brings them to Adam. He says, Adam, you name them. He is the only other speaking spirit. People say, what are you talking about? God is spirit. He spoke. The earth was. Animals, creatures, they have no spirit. They have a soul. They have emotions. If, you, if you're cruel to them, actually God will hold you to account. The Bible's actually clear about that. But they have no spirit. As much as you love your dogs and cats, they're not going with you. It's just not personal belief. But friends, man, the triune God, triune man, body, soul, spirit, man is a spirit. Man is a spirit being with a soul housed in a body, and God said, "I have made the masterpiece of my creation. I will bring you other parts of my creation. And you as a speaking spirit, because you made in my image, you also a spirit, you can also speak and speak not only anything, actually identity. He spoke identity over things that God made. He named them. Such is the authority that God has given man. the authority that you have been given, that so few people understand. we have been given authority, because you're made in His image. And He gave man to speak identity over other parts of His creation. Talk about co-laboring. He wants to partner with you because He's relational. His very essence is relational. His very being is a relational God. He wants to walk with you, talk with you, speak with you, teach you, equip you, love you, teach you to be like Him. Because there's no one else above Him. It's actually His love that wants to conform you into the image of Christ. It just means He wants the best for you. He's relational. His very nature is relational. We have a relational God. I wrote you. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. The Bible says He knows your frame. He knows that we are dust. He understands. He has mercy. He will not leave you as orphans, the Bible says. I will come to you. I will not leave you as orphans. No one will snatch you out of the Father's hand. Our Father who art in heaven. He's relational. He loves you. He's a relational God. And He wants to co-labor with you. And lastly, God is missional. Genesis one twenty eight: God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves. I want us to see something here. Firstly, His mission is Expansive. It's beautiful. It's creative. It's big. It's not small. But everyone sees the first mission that God gave as a task. We don't see the language there. It's the first time it's used in the Bible. And He blessed them. He blessed them. It's a blessing, not a task. It's a blessing. Blessing means the pleasure of God, the warmth of His smile. So He blessed them and said, increase, expand. Subdue, that actually means taken to bondage. So there was stuff that needed order to be brought to. But it was a blessing, not a task, not a job, a blessing. We have a great commission. Preach the gospel to every creature. It's a blessing. It's a privilege. It's not a job. It's not a task. Because it's good news. It's good news. Christ has come. It's a blessing. Yes? Yes? Yes, it really, really is. I wrote you, we so often hear this as a task, the mission to expand. It's a blessing bestowed upon mankind. And in fact, God, the best father, the best, in a sense, parent, I don't want to limit him by saying that, but he is the best, obviously. Just like a parent would sometimes say, you know, Jason, you're the youngest person here, sorry. If I wanted to say, if he was my son, I'd say, you know, I want you to do well, so I'm going to give you a good start. So I'm going to give you a little bit of money, but I, I actually want you to use it to make money. Don't just go buy pizza, right? So use it. So I give him a little bit of investment. Well, that's what God did. It says in Genesis 2, verse 8, it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. So he gives him this mission, expand, multiply, fill the earth, subdue. And then he gives him a little start. He says, okay, I'll plant a garden, and I'll put you in the midst of it. He's helping him. God doesn't just give a mission and leave. He says, I'll come with you. I'll help you. I'll walk with you. I'll teach you. I'll tell you what to do. He's an incredible father. He's missional. There is a mission. There's something that he has called us to do, but it's a blessing. It's not a task. It's not a job. It's not a career. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. I was sitting in the sauna at gym, and there's a man there. I don't know who he is. And the presence of God just just, drops it on me. So I'm like, all right. So I just start speaking to him about the Lord. I mean, there's a few choices. You can leave or you can stay. You know, I'm not leaving because I just got in. So I start speaking to him about the Lord. He looks at me and he says, "Uh, what do you mean? So I said, well, you know, the Lord, Jesus, and so forth. And he said, this is crazy. So I said, why? He said, because I have a friend who's like you. And he told me that in the next few days, God's going to send someone to speak to me about God. So, all right, go ahead. So I start speaking to him about the Lord. He gets emotional. I mean, we're sitting in the sauna, and God speaks to me about him. I said, you used to be a fighter or something. He said, how do you know that? So I said, right? Yeah. I was a fighter in Las Vegas. Fighter. And we just start to talk. Prince, I didn't go in there. Ah, da, da, blah, blah. It's a lifestyle. Because it's not a task, it's a blessing. What a privilege. What a privilege. He said, God really is real. This is crazy. I can't ignore this. I'm going to speak to my wife at the gym. Because it's a lifestyle. Genesis two twenty four he says that man will leave his mother and father. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. You know what's crazy about that verse? There was no mother and father yet. They have no children. They have a father God, but no physical. God says, a man's going to leave his mother and father. Adam's like, okay. He's going to leave his mother and father and join to his wife There shall become one flesh. Why is that important? Because that's actually part of the mission. Multiply. That was p- part of the mission. Multiply. Increase on the earth. In the mission, it's going to be family. Because part of the mission is family. Take your family with you on mission. The mission involves family. The mission involves children. The mission involves parents. This mission involves uh, a church family, the body of Christ, but every local church family and your family in your home. It's a family mission. It's a family mission. So your children are involved. You're involved. My children, my son is not standing up here preaching, but let me tell you, he pays a price because we call as a family. So it's a family mission. You know, it's very powerful. God put that right in the beginning. Your inheritance will always be tied to other people in God. It's not just for you. It's tied to relationships, to covenant relationships, and people, and family. What's the point? point simply is, friends, when I look in the book of Genesis, there's obviously so much more. You can never do justice to Genesis. I have such respect for the first, obviously, all the Scripture. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are so, there's so much in there you could, you know, spend your life in just the first 11 chapters. But what I see is that God is spiritual. God is missional. God is relational. God is organizational. But what you see so often is some people are very good at one. And they think that's the most important And I've seen for so many years the people that are built organizationally. Let's take a, sorry, my dad isn't. We all know my dad and mom, they're spiritual people. They're going to look at you. God's going to touch you. God will probably heal you. It's awesome. Supernatural, that's how they were born. focused, deliverance. If there's a demon on you, it's going to leave. I'm not trying to honor them. There's a gift. They're wired. They think like that. So what happens is an organizational type person comes along and says, well, they're more spiritual than me. No. God is organisational. You ask a spiritual person to organise something, good luck. So go, go set up, go set up something. No, let's just pray. No, you need to set it up. No, let's just pray. Let's just go into heaven, pray, trust God, he'll come set up the tables. Probably not. And that's not less spiritual. It's not less. It's family. Then you get the people that are all on mission. Or, all, all, what about the community people? I just want community. I just want community. I just want community. Yeah, I just, oh, come to my house again. Come, just, oh, community. Oh, community, community, it's never enough. Because there's relational, there's a relational aspect to it. And they're wired that way, they're built that way. You can go to their house every day, and they're like, oh, welcome. So happy to see you. You go to the wrong person's house, oh, you're here again. You know. <laughs> it's just, they're relational. And, you know, it's just, oh, relationship. And then you get a missional person. And to those people, if you're already saved, you're in the way. You're saved, get out of my way. Go find the relational guy. And friends, the point is, the point is that God's all four. And when those four come together, there's more. Those are just four. And when those four operate together, when you have the Spirit of God in action, with order, Because the spirit births order and peace and there's order and administration and structure and there's family and people focusing on the right people, focusing on family and then the you know the errands of the world. Just get out of my way, there's lost people and and be like, Okay, just off you go. You know, all that stuff happening. You have what I just we want to build that way. We're looking at a new facility and I just want to say, God, let's do all of them well. Let's walk together well. You could get someone like my dad to stand up and speak about the fact that God is spiritual. He'll do it probably better than anybody else. You can get someone else to stand up speaking about the fact that God is a God of order. And they will do it the best because that's who they are. So we need to build that way and to structure things that way. And I see it's very funny sometimes when you get an organizer and a spiritual person in the same family, especially as a couple. It's just interesting. My poor wife. I'm um, babe, let's pray. Let's, honey, you need to actually. No, no, let's just pray. Let's fast again. You know, no, we need to actually, you know, do the budget and. The, no, let's just fast. It, it's just I've learned. Just listen. She knows. I listen to her because, I I'm not that good at it. So you put people around you who are better. Because it's team. Amen. It's family. So I share that just because I'm saying, God, how do you build? How do you do something? We want to do like you do. We don't want to do what's in our heart. So can we have grace for each other? Because sometimes a person will come up here and the grace will be flowing the wrong way. The grace is flowing to them, not to you. That's just because they're learning. Or maybe they're operating out of their comfort zone. But that's okay. Amen. Can we stand?